0: Come on! Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Robert Fergasso. Bob, are
1: you ready to do this? I'm ready, and thank you for inviting me on your show.
0: Oh, you are welcome. Let's do this. Bob is the chairman and CEO of Fergasso Financial Advisors. He's an active member of his community as well as an author. He spent four decades in the financial services industry. I'm excited to have you on, Bob. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work and why you do what you do.
1: Well, thank you for asking me. Uh, personally I'm still involved with the business after forty six years and We've got a very, very strong management team, so I'm able to contribute to the firm uh, in the unique way that I can, not blocking the other folks from doing what they know how to do. Uh, I'll mention that we've got a little bit of a different model, and that is that we have one book of business for the entire firm. All of our people are on salary with a firm-wide bonus based on AUM acquisition as well as retention during the year and then individual bonuses that are based on the same criterion. Uh, the Personally, uh, I'm involved with uh, charities, I'm involved with the community to a degree, and uh, it's family, it's personal, and it's business.
0: Excellent. So why, why did you choose to, to build your firm or change your firm to the current model that you have of your advisors being salaried with, with, with bonuses?
1: Well, it's interesting because I started out as a sole practitioner trying to build a book way back in the pre, uh, uh, actually I should say when commissions were unfixed, or fixed uh, before they became unfixed in the middle 70s, and uh, as I uh, evolved through that, I realized that the industry tends to work against itself uh, by making everybody an independent contractor and looking out for themselves, and it's Uh, Made sense to structure the firm in a way that was uh, conducive to uh, mutual uh, business getting and business retention. Example, we have a retirement plan services department, we have an endowments and foundations department, we've got centralized portfolio management, we have centralized financial planning. That wouldn't be possible if everybody was their own, if you will, independent contractor, whether they're paid on a W 2 or not. Our industry is made up of independent contractors who happen to work together in a firm. And that didn't appeal to me. I think we get better results, and we definitely grew as a result of that.
0: Excellent. Well, there's so much I want to dig into. Um, I wanted to start with just getting your thoughts on what role a person's perspective plays on their ability to be financially successful.
1: Uh, Speaking of the advisor or the client, George?
0: Speaking of client.
1: The client. Uh, I think the client has to be an educated consumer of our guidance and our advice as practitioners. It's analogous to medical or legal. Uh, I guess in, in decades past, people blindly took the advice of their physician, and usually it worked out okay, but sometimes it didn't. Uh, so, uh, knowing that, uh, one, uh, is, um, uh, what one is trying to accomplish the right track that you're following as a client in trying to accomplish it provides a frame of reference for supporting, uh, and understanding, uh, the guidance that's given by the advisor. It's also a bit of a fail safe, uh, against incorrect decisions. And so, uh, the uh, client becomes an active participant in his or her or their own outcome.
0: Nice. And how has is, how is your perspective changed over your, you said 46 years, which is extremely impressive. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. How has is, how is your perspective changed on, I guess, your practice and on uh, just on, on working with clients overall during that time period?
1: I I don't know that it's changed a lot, but I think the way in which we deal with it. What I mean by that, George, is that early on, uh, I was advised when I went through training that clients uh, would uh, be unnerved during tough times. Uh, Clients would uh, sometimes blame the advisor uh, uh, for the effects of those tough times and how to deal with that. Uh, has always been, uh, for every one of us, a challenge to try and keep the client on course uh, so that they understand what's being done on their behalf. So trying to do that in conversation was and is one method, but the change that we made, and this goes back 20 years now, is to become, um, actually more than that, uh, to become um, totally discretionary in our investment management. We're 100% fee-based, but we're also 100% discretionary. So the client is contemporaneously informed as to what we're doing, but also why we're doing it. We're here to discuss it, but the uh, uh, a lot of the problem that came with the delay, the procrastination, the uncertainty of taking necessary steps in a portfolio has been eliminated, that delay has been eliminated uh, because of the discretionary nature of our uh, 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 management, so we've got the same phenomenon, but we're dealing with it in a more active way than we did uh, simply by talking about it.
0: I think that that makes a lot of sense. And how has your perspective on on investing changed over over time with with technology? technology.
1: Technology's been a great uh, uh, assist, a great resource. Uh, and this goes back to the, uh, certainly the, the computer revolution, uh, but uh, even more so the uh, software revolution. Uh, so years ago, uh, became aware of Morningstar uh, being uh, one of the early uh, tools available to us. But we've gone on from there uh, to uh, Orion that we use for practice management and e uh, eMoney for financial planning and uh, information repository, Salesforce for Uh, client records management, uh, but all of that is covered by the mantle of driving out the workbench nature of what we do and making it process-driven. Now the process doesn't make the decisions, people still make the decisions, but by being process-driven as opposed to workbench, every day making it up for every client allows us to rise to our higher and better use of our time as professionals. So embracing technology has been a a big boost in our practice. Uh, Also the tools, the investment tools that we use, ETFs, index funds would be an example of that. Uh, We embraced it, we didn't fight it, and we made it the core of each slice of the asset allocation model that we utilize for clients. And then we complement it with active management uh, as well as our own individual securities management and so we have a holistic approach to portfolio management, but it's built on that core of the index, of the ETF, uh, where early on when it came out, a lot of my peers were fighting, not within the firm, but elsewhere, were fighting that and saying, oh my gosh, it's going to take our business away. Right. Don't fight it. The train's coming. Don't stand <laughs> on the tracks crying. You know, Get on board. Use it.
0: Appreciate that. So what do you feel your, your job is as an advisor to your clients?
1: Well, first, it's to help the client determine where he, she, they are going. What is the goal? Uh, Secondly, to talk through what's gotten in the way of the achievement of that goal. And it can be uh, client-centric. It could be advisor-centric, those reasons uh, for impediment. Uh, What then next should be done to correct it? And then finally, to apply our process. And our process is holistic financial planning, appropriate schedules, certainly our portfolio management is the same. Uh, If somebody has large cap growth as one of the slices in their asset allocation model, and just about everybody does, they're going to have the same large cap growth investments, both institutional level no load funds as well as individual stocks. But the allocation that that family or that individual will have of large cap growth will be driven by the objective. And the objective is quantified into that result in the portfolio allocation by all of the schedules that we've run for the client time frame risk tolerance level family responsibilities tax bracket Uh, and so first metrically translating or translating the goal into metrics what does retirement security mean for you for you it's different than for me we have different ages different time frames different family responsibilities so let's quantify all of that but it has to start with a conversation and then once we've done all of the information gathering, then we do the analytics, and then we have a second meeting and go through the results with the client. And that leads us to exactly what we must do in each and every case. But once again, process driven as much as possible. Got it. My value my value is in that dialogue with the client and getting that information, then solidifying it into concrete action steps.
0: Do you find that people have a harder time with certain conversations than others?
1: Um, Sure. Um, People are so different. And um, people don't always understand um, what they need to do or they're not willing to accept it. Uh, They have an unrealistic, sometimes people have an unrealistic view of uh, what uh, they uh, want, uh, what it takes to get there. Uh, so there are in a minority of cases, people that we shouldn't accept and don't accept as clients. So an active trader doesn't fit our methodology. We're, we're bound to fail in the, uh, in mutual expectations with that client. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, some years back, this is quite a while ago, a woman, uh, who was a widow as a client and a uh, recent widow. And she came to me, became a client and, uh, she had a, um, Reason, she was in her 50s and had a reasonable portfolio, but it was not overly large, probably enough to help her get by uh, into retirement. She came and said, I need to buy a place in Florida. We live in Pittsburgh. And, she said, uh, I, and, I, and I said, well, are you selling Pittsburgh? No, I'm gonna keep both. I said, well, I was younger then. I said, you can't afford to do that. And she said, well, I, I want to do that. And I said, well, why do you want to do that? You ready? I can't meet any men <laughs> in Pittsburgh. <again>. Okay. <laughs> and of course, remember, I was younger then. And I said, are you kidding me? The ratio is much worse in Florida. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so that was intemperate of me. I was trying to be helpful <laughs> to her. But there, there's an example of someone. And, and, and so she left. She stopped being a client. I ran into her accountant a few years later, and I said, whatever happened to this woman? And he said she spent down her money because she was doomed to do that. I knew that. She wasn't willing to accept it. But here's the bottom line. I wasn't smart enough or sensitive enough to make her understand what was right for her. And that was my fault. Yeah, she was wrong for being emotionally involved, uh, attaching an emotional quotient to her money that she should not have done. But I was inept and trying to get the message across. So, yes, sometimes people are reasonable, but more often than not, we'll tell people you are on the wrong track with your expenditures. I don't want you to cut your lifestyle, but we have to make some adjustments. Well, what kind of adjustments? Let's talk through it. That's a more reasonable approach. So, yes, some people are accommodating, some are not, but usually it's because they they have their conflicting emotions tied up with their money. They think their money knows they own it. And that's not the case. It's a tool. They
0: think that their, their money thinks that they own it. I, I think that that's a great way to look at it. So the folks that, that are able to overcome that or maybe have not struggled with that, what what are those common traits of successful investors or people that are successful financially?
1: They're realistic. They may have high aspirations, but they're realistic about those aspirations and what it takes to achieve them. But that's where the analytics, that's where the process makes it so much easier to get the message across. So a reasonable person, not necessarily an analytical person, it could be an English teacher that I'm talking to, it doesn't matter, or an English professor, they don't have to be a math whiz, they just have to be a realistic in their approach to themselves, their goals, the steps they need to take. Uh, and then if it's not a comfortable set of steps, then we have to rework it because financial success is an equation, which means there are variables on both sides of the equation. So let's adjust the goal. Let's adjust the time frame. Let's adjust what you have to do to pre-fund that goal. What rates of return? What risk is involved in that return? Those are all variables. So a reasonable person understands that and works through the exercise collaboratively with the advisor, and the outcome is usually okay. Nothing's guaranteed, we know that. But if the methodology is right, the odds are so much more in, the, in, uh, in line with uh, achievement than failure.
0: And are you able to gauge pretty early on if somebody's going to be able to take a realistic approach to it?
1: Uh, I think so. Um, sometimes people, are, they recoil at realizations. And not, not every realization is stark. In many cases, we're telling people, you're never going to outlive your money. Right. You're going to be able to do what you want to do. Uh, So it doesn't mean that we have this hard conversation with everyone. But, uh, yeah, most people understand it, even if they initially are taken aback. Uh, A client a while back had three homes, one in New Jersey, one in Florida, and one on the uh, Maryland coast, and went through it and said, pick any two of the three, but you can't carry three. They were just retiring, and a fairly young retiree. You're not going to be able to carry it through. Here are the numbers. Oh, whoa, I don't know. Okay, let's go through it. Okay, I understand what you're saying. We will have to get rid of one of those homes. Got it. That's where the <coughs> metrics make the difference as opposed to me describing in the air some type of belt tightening.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I think that that's excellent. And I want to sort of have, have the same conversation to a a good chunk of... You know, you, you read statistics, and I sometimes I take in my face value, and sometimes I look at it and I think, okay, I don't know if that's a real thing or not. But you read about how a very large chunk of of, of Americans couldn't come up with four hundred dollars in case of an emergency in cash. How would you sit down with those people if, in fact, they are living really paycheck to paycheck, um, and and have a conversation with them?
1: You know, if folks of of all income categories uh, can have can fall into the trap of overspending, and uh, the conversation becomes one of reality, not of accusation. Uh, and it's that uh, we put this in our court. We teach adult financial education for corporations, the workforce, and at corporations for universities, colleges, community colleges. And part of the uh, the the debt section is to talk about the three types of households. Uh, those that spend all that they make and accumulate nothing, those that spend more than they make and accumulate debt, and those that spend less than they make and accumulate assets. Uh, barring an unexpected inheritance or a lottery winning, you're in one of those three. So how do you want this to go? Let's talk about it. Uh, and, and so as opposed to saying you are spending too much money, weren't you brought up right, where's your head – You know, that's the wrong way to approach it. No one wants to hear that. But laying it out realistically for them so that they can aspire to a better course uh, seems to make a difference. Sometimes it doesn't, and they keep spending. And sometimes if it's a couple, one spouse or the other is not in line. And uh, so it becomes a matter of uh, kind of a Socratic method uh, to get that spouse with questions to get that spouse uh, to understand that he or she is uh, risking a derailment of the of the financial security.
0: Well, I think that that is excellent, an excellent way to frame that conversation. So thank you for that. Well, Bob, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them?
1: Well, I think that um, for for advisors, uh, it is that to have the courage of your conviction, in how you guide your clients. If you're unsure, then solidify your method, your thinking, uh, your tools, but as you're practicing, again, a medical or legal analogy is apt, and that is if you felt unsure about your ability to treat your patient medically, then you've got to rethink your tools and your methodology and get it right because a lot depends on it. The same thing's true of all of us as advisors. For clients, very definitely it is think about what you're trying to accomplish in life. Get the right kind of guidance. You're not going to treat yourself medically. You're not going to try your own court case. You're going to hire good professional help to do it. Uh, The cost of that, in effect, is no different than you trying to do it yourself because you're going to spend money on things that aren't appropriate. Uh, You're going to lose money when you shouldn't. Uh, so getting yourself first thinking about where you're going in life and how you're going to get there, then uh, interviewing uh, the right advisor or advisory firm that's in line with your way of looking at things, your way, desired way of doing things, and then trusting them and then remaining an educated consumer of what's brought before you. Everybody wins on that one.
0: Well, I think that those are both great and they'll definitely get it. Come on. Come on. So Bob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you?
1: Well, our website is Fragasso, that's F-R-A-G-A-S S O. Only one R in Fragasso, Fragasso Advisors, ends dot com. By the way, I'll mention parenthetically that we are looking to buy practices of individuals who are either younger in their practice and want to grow as part of a larger, more resource-laden organization, uh, or in proximity to retirement, maybe imminent retirement, we're looking to buy. But those that are in between, they might want to, in effect, license our resources, and they can also contact me through the website.
0: Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Bob your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to FragassoAdvisors.com, which I'll list in the notes of the show as well. Thank you again, Bob.
1: George, thank you. It's an honor to be on, and thank you for your good questions.
0: I appreciate it. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.
1: What's up, Savage Nation? Please
0: support the show by subscribing, leave us a review,